0: Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. We continue in our Means of Grace series and today thinking about the idea of meditation. Now, uh, as I was growing up, I was fascinated by cows. Anyone with me on this? Oh, I've got a few friends here tonight. This is so good. I had one friend at 7.45, none at 9.30. They just looked at me, kind of... No, I won't go there. They just looked at me blankly. Um, but I was fascinated by cows, uh, intrigued by how they unswallow food and chew the cud, how they ruminate. Now, perhaps as a young boy, what was going on for me was that I loved food, And an animal that had worked out how to seemingly have an endless supply of food just seemed to be pretty cool to me. But the action of rumination grossed me out. Have you ever watched a cow when they do it? Like those big jaws, they swing from side to side as they chew over and over and over again. It looks pretty ugly, actually. I wouldn't recommend going on a date or something like that and using that as your way of of eating. In time, though, I learnt that rumination is actually really good for the cow. In fact, rumination for the cow aids their digestion. It provides the cow with the nutrients that are available in the food and thereby rumination was a gift of God to help the cow live healthily. Today, in our Means of Grace series, we're thinking about meditation, And the meditation that scripture invites us into is different to the meditation that we often hear about in the world. It's not a meditation whereby we empty our minds, but scripture invites us into a meditation where we fill our minds with the word of God. That's what we heard in Psalm 119 verse 15, which says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways see the meditation mind is thinking about something Philippians chapter 4 puts it this way whatever's true whatever's noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy think about such things they're the things that we're meant to be thinking about and mulling over in our minds or ruminating on in our minds. Biblical meditation is to ruminate on God's word and it's a means of grace because biblical uh, rumination aids biblical digestion, unlocking spiritual nutrients for us. It's God's grace for ongoing formation of our hearts, helping our hearts align with our head. And what I'm going to do tonight rather than preach more on Psalm 119 is share with you one of my own meditations on Job chapter 19 and share with you how it's changed my heart or it's actually changed my head, the things that I believe, uh, sorry, the things I believe in my heart to be more in line with what I would believe in my head. You know how sometimes we go through life and we go, I believe this, but I'm acting like this. What my head says and what my heart wants to do are two different things. Meditation often helps those two bring, uh, come into line with each other. And so tonight, I just want to have a look at this passage from Job 19. Now, I don't have time to give you all the context of Job. If you've read his story, you know how horrific it is. But Job 19, verse 21 and 22 Give a bit of a summary. Here's here's what it says, just to get you on the page of Job. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity for the hand of God has struck me. Get that, right? That tells you something about where Job's at. The hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you ever get enough of my flesh? Now, in these uh, couple of verses, you can hear Job's agony at what's going on. His despair with his friends who have just been giving him bad advice after bad advice. And you can hear as well Job's anger or maybe confusion with God. God, where are you in all this? What's going on in all this? And so having read through the book of Job and I was reading through it quite slowly and getting to Job chapter 19, this kind of struck me as, yeah, that's where Job's at. But what came next in verse 25 to 27 of Job 9 caused me to pause and ruminate because what comes next is a message of great confidence in contrast to what we've heard so far in the book of Job. Job says this, I know that my Redeemer lives and and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed Yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him. With my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. So, here's how meditating on that couple of verses over days, weeks and even months has been used by God to form me. The first one is this. Sometimes I operate functionally like I believe this is true when God seems distant it's personal do you ever function you might not believe that in your head I don't but I function like that right what I mean by that is my life kind of reflects that I believe that's true so when God seems distant I then ask myself questions like well what have I done wrong surely I've done something wrong that God would seem distant Or I ask myself, what massive sin is it that I've committed? Or I ask myself, why doesn't God not care about the situation that I'm in? Because I feel like he should care. Or I ask myself, doesn't God care about this particular relationship? Doesn't he care about my suffering? Or doesn't he care about my health? Or doesn't he care about my kids or grandkids or whatever it is that's going on? See how those questions, while they might be good, helpful, reflective questions, can easily become me believing that when God is distant, it's personal. He's taking something out on me. And Job had more reason than me or any of us. I'd suggest to ask such questions. Job had literally lost it all: his family, uh, his children, all dead; his everything he owned his livestock gone and his health gone as well. Literally, his skin was being destroyed. So Job had more reason than others to ask this. In verse 21, as I pointed out when we looked at that, he attributed his situation to the hand of God. But here, in verse 25 to 27, Job is clear that it's not that God has something personal against him, but that God is personal. See, he's a better thing to believe. When God seems distant, he is personal. And look at all the personal things in these verses. Look at how personal they are. Job calls God my redeemer. Now, Job wasn't an Israelite, but he doesn't call God Israel's redeemer, which would be true, but distant. He doesn't do that. It's my Redeemer. In his suffering, Job lent into his personal relationship with God. He doesn't call God his comfort. He doesn't call God his defender. He doesn't call God his strength. Perhaps he didn't feel able to call God those things at that point in time. Or perhaps there was something more important, something that grounded him way more in despair Job calls God my redeemer. What mattered was not where God was in the suffering, in the chaos of Job's life, but where God was in his whole life. And when Job thought about his whole life, he recognized that God had redeemed him. That no matter what else was happening for him, God had redeemed him that God was for him. God's personal redemption of Job gave Job a hope beyond the hopelessness and helplessness of his current circumstances. And that enabled him to say, I will see God. And Job's emphatic about this. Look at the verses again. I myself, I and not another, Job knew that a different day was coming. He knew there would be a day when rather than see and feel the pain, he would see God. And as I ruminated on this, it challenged me about how I approach times of trouble, times of distress. I asked myself, am I tempted to push God away? Because I'm feeling like it's personal rather than leaning in to his great redemption, to reminding myself and regrounding myself that I have a redeemer. Do I want something more, I ask myself, than the riches, the richness of redemption that is mine in Christ? Is the day to come a greater motivation for me? than the day that is. All this reminded me of the truth that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 8, verse 39, where he says, nothing else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing else. Not the fact that Job had lost his family. Not the fact that Job had lost lost his livelihood not the fact that Job had lost his health. Do I live like that? Do I live with this great truth that God has redeemed me, that he is for me and that nothing can separate me from his love? The other rumination I want to share on this passage is this and again it comes from something that uh, my heart often lives as I believe but in my head I don't really believe and that's this. When all seems lost, sin will stand. Now, we live in a world that's really messed up by sin. Sin, in many ways, has its way in the world. And we see its consequences wreaking havoc all over the place, both globally and also personally in our own lives. And when the world is busted up, it can look like God has been removed from the world. It can look like sin reigns. But Job was wrestling with God's justice. He was wrestling with how he was coming to grips with, I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't sinned. What's going on here? God, are you actually just? But in wrestling with that, he comes to a different point, a different understanding. He realised that when all seemed lost, God will stand. Look at what he says. In the end, he will stand on the earth. Job's skin had literally been destroyed. He had skin diseases. His life was in ruins. But Job knew that justice would be done, even if he wasn't healed. God will stand on the earth. Sometimes we can get anxious and I feel for uh, those of you in the younger generation here, sometimes we can get really anxious about where our world is headed. We can feel like secularisation or atheism or just ungodliness and wickedness will somehow defeat God. But Job recognises that God will stand. He will stand. He will stand on the earth on the day of judgment to make things right. God has not abandoned his creation. God has not forsaken his character. He is just and justice will prevail. He will stand on the earth. Wrongs will be made right. And this truth that Job reflects on leads him Leads his heart away from despair and toward hope. His focus is not just for justice today, justice here and now, justice for me, for Job, but he yearns for the day, the day when God will stand on the earth and the greatest justice will be seen for all time. He yearns for that day. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 tells us that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Do you know that? Does your heart know that? That God knows what he's doing. That if you feel like you're in a trial at the moment, God knows it. He can rescue you from that that if you feel like the unrighteous, the wicked, the ways of this world had their way in our world, God knows how to hold the unrighteousness for punishment. He doesn't forget about it. He is just and justice will come. Jesus will return. And when Jesus returns, he is the one who will stand on the earth. He will rescue us from our trials. He knows what he is doing. He will punish evil, sin and all unrighteousness. When all seems lost, here's the truth to hang on to. Jesus will stand. Jesus will stand on the earth. Sometimes I can make and perhaps we can make today, what's going on in my life right now, matter more than the day the day when Jesus returns and makes all things new when all seems lost it's helpful to maintain a perspective that Jesus will stand on the earth that he will bring justice that he will make things right and that that day matters more than whatever I encounter this day that doesn't make what you encounter this day insignificant but that day matters more There's my ruminations, my ruminations on Job 19 and how they've been affecting my heart. But meditation isn't complete just with rumination. In fact, that's just the start. The cow, I'd like to suggest, doesn't spit out the cud, but having chewed it, digests it. So it can benefit from all the goodness that it's been chewing away at. So here's a few things you can do just briefly to aid digestion first Memorise scripture Whatever it is that you've been meditating on Commit it to memory Now, I know this is a really 90s thing to do Don't laugh at me But I use a screensaver to help me memorise scripture Right? It's simple, it's easy You might like to make a wallpaper for your phone And while you do that, show me how to do it Because that'd be cool <laughs> uh, You might like to make a meme of some sort Whatever. Like, I don't care just work out how can I memorize this, how can I commit this to memory? Second thing is make a plan to use it. Now, those of you who are Apple Mac users might love like I do, this particular function on the Apple Mac, which is command and spacebar, right? Who knows that function? Who knows what I'm talking about? Like three of you, that's disgusting. The rest of you, the rest of you, here's a good tip if you use a Mac, right? You press those two buttons and then you type in whatever word you want and it's this mega powerful search engine. Just change your world if you've got a Mac. Just go and use that. Now, here's the thing, right? I love using that on my Mac, but my brain doesn't work like that. I can't just go word, boom, here it comes. Alright? If you've got a brain like that, good for you. It's not mine. But here's what I try and do. I make a plan for when I'm going to use it. I think to myself, when are the times that this meditation that I'm having might benefit me? When might I need to call on God's word at some time in the future? And when might I like to call on this passage? So for me, with this particular passage, it's been things like suffering. Whenever I'm suffering, this will be a good place to go any sorts of trouble or any confusion with God that I might be experiencing. If I'm feeling a bit disillusioned, go here, go, to, go back to Job 19. Or if I'm worried about today instead of the day, go back to Job 19. So in doing that, I'm trying to create a filing system that might help me access this passage when I know I'm going to need it in the future. Make a plan of how you're going to use it. And then finally, mention it. Mention it to God in prayer. Tell him, thank him for what he's revealed. Thank him for how he's changing your heart. Thank him for his word and the beauty of it. But also mention it to someone else. Tell them what you've been learning because that reinforces your own learning. For me, that's another way of helping file it away somewhere where I'll be able to recall it in time. God gives us grace. Grace. In so many ways, that's what this Means of Grace series is all about, to help us see God's grace in all sorts of ways as we live with him and look forward to eternity with him. But he gives us grace as we meditate on his words. Rumination aids digestion. And so may it be that the words of the psalmist at the end of Psalm 19 are true both right here and now for me and for us, but also for us as we meditate. He writes this as a prayer. Let me pray it. Lord, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6 p.m. congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another, and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.